From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. It's more expensive to hire staff, to retain staff, and then as well as supplies and equipment expenses, the supply chain issues are continuing. I know I have many people in the um, kind of friends and colleagues in the medical device or you know, kind of pharmaceutical space too. And even getting supplies to their customers has been a severe challenge. And, um, you know, that's impacting people's ability to provide the care that they need. And when they do provide it, it's now at a much higher cost. That's Adrian Lloyd, MGMA consultant and CEO and founder of Optimize Healthcare, talking about the challenges of inflation, staffing, and running an efficient medical practice. We'll hear more from Adrian in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. MGMA Data Dive is an online-based platform with thousands of metrics allowing you to see the best in your organization or areas for improvement. No matter your organization's size, MGMA Data Dive's benchmarks and filters show you how to compare to regional or national competitors, KPIs like provider staff compensation, operations, costs, and revenue. Go to mgma.com slash data to learn more. Our guest today is Adrian Lloyd, an MGMA consultant and CEO and founder of Optimize Healthcare. Adrian is here today to talk about what you can do to combat the challenges of inflation and staffing through value-based care models. And you can hear Adrian speak next month at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference, which will be held October 9th through the 12th in Boston. Well, Adrian, thanks so much for joining us again on the MGMA Insights podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I just want to go over a couple of things here. So you are currently an MGMA consultant. You're also a featured speaker at many MGMA events, so I would feel that many of our listeners recognize and know you through those avenues. Um, And so what I want to do is talk today about um, value-based care, staffing, and revenue. Uh, First, I just want to address something to you. You and I were talking offline about uh, the I word, um, inflation, and uh, I just want to talk to you about that. What is inflation that actual word coming up in conversations you have with clients or is that just something you are seeing and and reading about and experiencing on your own out there yeah no that's a great question i am not hearing the word inflation quite as much as i'm hearing you know rising salaries rising expenses which of course is all symptoms of the i word (laughs) but um you know, I think we've we've been struggling with increasing salaries and retaining, you know, recruiting and retaining staff for, you know, at least the last, you know, year and a half um, going on probably into the second year now um, as the pandemic changed, you know, what people were looking for in jobs and all of those things too. And so um, it's more expensive to hire staff, to retain staff, and then as well as supplies and equipment expenses, the supply chain issues are continuing. I know I have many people in the Um, kind of friends and colleagues in the medical device or, you know, kind of pharmaceutical space too. And even getting supplies to their customers has been a severe challenge. And, um, you know, that's impacting people's ability to provide the care that they need. And when they do provide it, it's now at a much higher cost. And 
you know, I used to, I've said for probably a decade now that the one constant in healthcare is we know we're not going to get paid more for what we do. And so, you know, our re reimbursement is going to stay the same, if not decline, as we know with the latest change. And, you know, our expenses are going up. So we're squeezing those margins. Um, if we even had po positive margins in some of our practices, um, we're squeezing it even more. And it's just pre presenting even more challenges for the practice leaders and organization leaders. So it's definitely, definitely hot on there agendas these days. Right. And I, you said something interesting there that people aren't saying, well, inflation is causing me to do this or not do this. Um, I mean, we've all had that sort of uh, gas pump shock lately where we <laughs> go to fill up our car and we go, you got to be kidding me. And I, I'm here stationed in Denver, but I was traveling in uh, California recently. And I mean, even states, state to state the the gas prices are uh, they, they vary widely and I was completely shocked at what I saw in California at the gas prices but that's just one aspect because it's just it's sort of that thing where you can as you're filling up the car you can actually see the dollars added and you go well I know what it's usually like and that's not what it's usually like the reason I bring up the gas pump shock is from a medical practice side of it, again, you and I were talking offline about that. Is that sticker shock, so to speak, of higher prices, but the reimbursement staying the same? Is that impeding people in making decisions now? Like, you know, things they want to take advantage of, maybe some expenditures now? Um, what are you seeing as far as that's concerned with medical practices? Yeah, it's definitely having an impact. I, I do think staffing continues to be at the forefront of that. And I'm, um, you know, hearing from, you know, a radiology practice I've, I've been working with too, you know, they're not necessarily having enough staff to, they're having to close MRIs, you know, an MRI scanner for a day. Well, that's a very expensive day if you don't have a staff member for that, um, that, that scanner to be able to run and, and perform those tests that you need. And so, you know, they're continuing to have this staffing gap, which is leading to further revenue gaps. And then, they are seeing either they can't get the supplies or resources that they need on the kind of capital or expense side, or when they do get them, their, you know, their contracts are now going up 15, 20% over what they they were before. And um, it's, I don't know that we're at, at panic levels. I, I hope not. Um, but I do think that there's extreme caution and um, and definitely a lot of, you know, trepidation around what is it going to cost for us to retain the staff that we have um, to hire in the staff that we feel like we need um, and then still be able to, to adjust to the reimbursement declines that we know we're seeing in so many areas. Um, and so I think that's causing people to think about um, growth that they were planning, if whether they were planning to maybe partner or acquire another practice into a larger organization or um, you know, buy additional capital and kind of expand. Or um, I think that's really starting to have impacts. And then also other strategic initiatives they might've been doing such as replacing you know, outdated software or things like that, that too, that um, at some point it becomes mission critical. You've got to make those changes, but it's definitely, um, definitely adding to the, the variables of, you know, what can we afford right now? Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I encourage people to continue to look ahead at what is really going to move that, you know, make the biggest difference, you know, a couple of years from now, because if we continue to stay in what we can only do right now, 
um, you won't ever be able to move move forward. But I, I do recognize that there's a lot of nervousness um, with the the changes that have been have been and continue to be very real. Mm-hmm. In hearing you say those things, I mean, I think of the word quality in in, in a lot of different instances here because it's the quality of care to the patient, but it's the quality of life of the staff who's sort of left behind, so to speak, when you have had people leave or you're having roles not be filled right now. And so they're left to shoulder this burden. And you and I, again, we're talking offline about burnout. I mean, talk about what you think about when you think about the word quality in that medical practice right now with the staffing not being where it needs to be in so many practices. Yeah, I think everyone, everyone who's, you know, left behind, if you will, and, and everybody who was hopefully there to begin with, you know, it's very committed to providing, you know, high quality, high value customer service. I truly believe that, you know, that most people got into healthcare for that reason and still want to continue to move that forward. And unfortunately, what happens when you have the um, you don't have the staff that you truly need to cover the shifts that you need to cover. I mean, I know I have um, a colleague who's a nurse practitioner in a um, hospital NICU. And so, she, you know, they're being asked to pick up additional second, third shifts. And, you know, I trust that they're doing everything they can to provide that same care to that, you know, those infants that they did the first shift of the week. But, you know, at some point, there's only so much bandwidth any human can have and so I, I do think it creates risk. And, and even if you just don't have the amount of staff to cover, you know, the processes and the, the bandwidth that you were to take care of those patients, there's, there's a, there is an increased risk that something is going to fall through the cracks. Someone is going to miss a step um, in that process and, you know, missing a step, depending on what it is, could result in an error, um, either a data collection error or a specimen collection error, or, you know, an even bigger kind of risk to the patient. And, um, none of us want that to happen. And I think that is something that's also weighing on, you know, practice and physician and um, organizational leadership's mind as well. Okay. Um, thank you for that. And I, I want to step back to value-based care. I, I want to address this. I was having a couple of different conversations where it came up, this idea where value-based care, it can improve things so much in practices. Um but there was this kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a theory or an idea where value-based care can create more revenue and lower cost. And I'm just trying to get my head around that and understand that. And maybe some of our listeners are as well. So first of all, let us know, is that true? Can you, can you create more revenue and lower cost at the same time? And if so, how does that work? Yeah, um, you, I, it is true. Um, Definitely, it's about how you approach the, um, I think it's true. I'm not sure that it's true for every disease condition or every specialty. Um, hopefully one day, maybe it will be. But today, I think um, it typically is is more true for those like primary care type specialties where you're looking at providing incentives for patients to get better care or more frequent care on a, hopefully a smaller unit basis, if you will, you know, they're, they're getting checkups, they're getting those like nurse phone calls to check in and see how they're doing that avoids them having that, um, you know, having to go to the ER for that visit or having those additional tests because something got missed for too long. And so um, I think that having those, um, that kind of higher, higher touch points along the way 
and that it gives an opportunity for those organizations to consider using different types of resources. So if I kind of approach the cost aspect first, you know, the ways to look at, I do think value-based care helps highlight some opportunities that we've, we've known ex existed for a long time is that we have a lot of um, lack of standardization in healthcare. And so when you have a value-based or kind of these bundled payments for a certain patient population, not only do you start to look within that specific specialty and say, okay, how much is it costing us now to provide the care for this type of patient? And how might we be able to you know, reduce that cost? Is it supply expenses? What types of staff are we using for this? Does the physician need to see the patient or could a, you know, an advanced practice provider get involved or a nurse? Um, and so you start to look at those costs that are being provided. You also want to focus, of course, on the quality. You know, what does this patient need to make sure they're getting the quality of care so that they don't end up with, you know, A, we want them to get better, but also they don't end up with more expenses going, you know, further upstream um, in the, the pipeline. So you want to look at those costs and that does provide a lot of opportunity. One of the things that um, when I was at Duke in ophthalmology, um, we were looking at kind of our diabetic retinopathy patients. And so retinal injection medication, as an example, is very expensive. And we were able to kind of look at the different types of medications, what was being used, looking at this, this patient population and determine, are there, is there a better kind of protocol that we should consider for these patients kind of through a progression um, of these, these meds versus starting with one or the other right away. And so of course that depends, um, but getting your providers involved, I think this is another great opportunity to be able to have the conversations with the physicians of how do we wanna best care for these patients? Um, can we use this supply versus that supply? We may be able to save, you know, interventional radiology or GI or cardiac, you know, a lot of our devices and supplies can be very you know, expensive. Could we use a stent that's a couple hundred dollars less for this patient and still have the same outcome? Maybe yes, maybe no, but at least to have those conversations. So, um, so looking at that cost of care and then not only for staffing resources and supplies, but also looking as we, you know, I've talked a lot about process, you know, looking mm -hmm. at the process and saying, do we have patients going through steps in the process that really aren't adding value to the patient? Um, and is there a way that we can reduce the time that that and resources those are taking or eliminate them? Um, and then the revenue, you know, being able to then negotiate with your payers and say, we're able to provide the care for these patients and this is the quality we're able to provide. This is a service level we're able to provide. We're able to get them in within two weeks or you know, whatever that, that target might be. Um, being able to sell that can hopefully lead to more, you know, con better contracting with those payers to get you know, higher rates for those populations. To move into you know, really jumping with both feet into that value-based care world, does it require additional training, new skill sets for medical practice administrators, or in your estimation and working with practices, are they already equipped if they've already been running a practice on the fee side? Can they just walk right in and, and do a good job on the value-based care side? I think they, I think most of them have all, you know, have the skills to do that. I think it just requires a mindset shift in that, okay. you know, before it was really, okay, how can we see more patients? How can we get um, you know, do we, obviously we weren't ever trying to run up the bill or do a, an unnecessary testing or anything right. like that, but, you know, are, are there additional services that we can provide, um, to, you know, cause we're in increasing that, you know, that revenue. So how can we provide and expand our services 
And now it's just really saying, okay, let's look at it from a margin perspective, keeping that quality and customer service at the forefront, but looking at it from a margin perspective and saying, you know, how can we treat these patients in a better way with less resources? And then what, if we were able to do that, what might like that look like um, for our, for our practice um, and having conversations too, maybe there's a patient part of the patient population you want to focus more on or less on. Um, and you can kind of make efforts to grow that part of the practice rather than growing everything. And you're really trying to expand those areas that maybe you're doing more of the value-based care models in as you continue to grow that. But um, so I think mindset shift is first. And then I, I think the next piece is really understanding your data. Um, and mm-hmm. so digging into what are those costs that are going into providing that care. And then the next, the third piece is really being able to have those conversations with your physicians and getting even a few, a few of them, if you can't get all of them to the table right away, you know, a few of them to the table to say, you know, I really like your input, you know, mm-hmm. I like your input into how, um, how we can reduce the cost that it's providing, or we can provide an elevated service, you know, having those conversations in an open way, um, I think is really the kind of that third key piece. And from there, um, you know, you, it's hard to, you're just, you're going to continue to make incremental progress. So. Yeah. Well, you said digging into the data. So let's go there. Um, I know it's going to depend on the situation, but w- what data should you be digging into then to see if that value-based care model is working for you? Is- so the data that I would dig into um, really is looking at, you know, I, I do think supply expenses, your capital e- equipment expenses, your staff resources, um, also looking at your staff resources and your physician resources, looking at the time that it's taking and not only the face-to-face time. I know you and I had talked about like one of the webinars we did long ago was on optimize your processes for mm-hmm. like on-site and off-site work. But so thinking about the flow and those touch points of um, where is the patient interacting with your team in order to get that care and like what the patient portal, you know, that's a huge um, time impact right now. So, you know, looking at those time elements and saying, okay, you know, this is taking us, you know, 200 minutes to provide the care for this patient over a three month span. Um, We think we could maybe reduce that to maybe 200 is way too long, short, but we could reduce that to like 120, you know, we could save 60 minutes or 80 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And if, or maybe it's looking and saying, maybe we don't need that physician to see the patient every visit, maybe every third visit or every, you know, every fourth visit or whatever that might be. Um, and then how can you use, utilize additional staff? And of course, right now you've got to consider what staff you may be able to hire versus, versus others. There are certain roles I know across the country, you know, the MA role, the LPN role can be more challenging than others. So you may not be able to get, um, you know, utilize resources the way that you would, your ideal state would be, but thinking about, um, what's going into that now and those key categories, I think is the, very effective. And also keeping in mind, I know a lot of people may have brought some of those patients back now that telehealth is not quite as prominent, Mm -hmm. but, you know, if you're able to provide care in a way that connects with the patient and they don't need to be on site, as you move into this value-based care model, you're not going to get reimbursed for every single visit and every single charge. So if you can provide that same care with a phone, phone visit or a, you know, a video visit, um, you know, really think about ways to do that too. Okay. I know that uh, you had mentioned some previous webinars and events we'd done together. And um, in many of those, you really uh, discuss and go into detail about lean 
principles. Um, so let's talk about that as we kind of wind down this conversation today. Um, how can you incorporate those lean principles, uh, whether it's in the value-based care setting or as we were talking about earlier with some of the staffing shortages, where is something that you've seen some of those lean principles really work uh, with the practices that you're working with? Yeah, I think probably two of my favorites that come to mind, well, maybe three of my favorites, you know, <laughs> it's hard to choose. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I really, really love kind of utilizing um, process mapping. So you're mapping out the process of like, what is the patient going through? But um, if you feel like you don't have time for that right now, because sometimes doing that as full as it needs to, you're really just kicking off with brainstorming with your team and saying, okay, guys, like, look, we, we all know we're short staffed. And we all know that we're trying to provide great care to these patients. Maybe it's a certain type of patients or maybe it's patients as a whole. And then I need your ideas. You know, I need your input. As you and I've talked about, like, I think a lot of times as leaders, we feel like we have to have all the answers, but really if we can give some of that power back to our teams and help them, you know, they have much better solutions and they see much more of the practice and the flow than we do. Um, and so being able to use kind of brainstorming, get their input, you know, use an affinity diagram and impact um, difficulty matrix to really prioritize those things, um, those, those items that can really help, you know, save you time, um, reduce some of the stress and burnout that the team's feel, feeling or provide a better um, approach for the patients. I think that is huge. And then the other, other thing, um, you know, once you've done that, looking at the time, you know, the time, truly measuring that time is very important and you don't have to have a sample size of hundred, you know, even getting 10 to 15 sometimes can give you an idea of what's going on such that you can see where your biggest um, improvement can be. And the last thing I, I really, really love is standard work. And all standard work is, is really creating a, an outline for, you know, we, there's 10 steps in this process and here's how it needs to go. And then I love kind of taking that to the next level of using visual cues or perhaps little short videos to help, you know, train the staff. And because a lot of the staff are coming in as you're hiring new people, the managers are busy. The rest of the team is already busy because they've been understaffed and you've got someone new to the organization who doesn't, they don't know how the EHR works in this organization yet. They don't know where all the supplies are located. They don't know where all that resources and they don't want to have to ask, you know, most of our employees, they don't want to have to ask every single time. Mm -hmm. um, and so providing some resources that they can go to um, that aren't that 40 page, um, you know, onboarding manual that we've all, <laughs> all had and been guilty of, um, you know, so really it's very, you know, very helpful. So really creating that, that standard work, that standard process will help with onboarding and training, um, it just makes it easier to get more consistent outcomes. And it also helps on the performance side for you to be able to say, okay, this did not go the way that we wanted. Help me understand why, why we varied from our process here. Do we need to change the process or did somebody just, you know, maybe not pay attention or needs more training on the process? So um, I think brainstorming, process mapping with those time observations and standard work, I think those are three of the biggest things that can really help save you identify your problems, save you time and, and help you really um, reduce the cost per unit you know, for, of care that we're providing, which you know, really sets you up for value-based care and sets you up for better success even under the current fee-for-service model, so. Okay, well, as a final thought then, you <laughs> talked about avoiding those 40-page manuals and everything. Are there 
some resources or tools specifically. It might be on a website. It might be on MGMA's website. Who knows? Or it might be something else that you use and you utilize and share with practices um, that you could share with us today that can help our listeners and they can walk away from here and, uh, you know, implement these these tools or resources into their practices right away. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, I have a brainstorming video and a standard work tool that I'd be happy to to give, and we could create a link to that at the end of the podcast if you want as well. Um, in terms of other kind of technology tools that I like, uh, you know, doing something, even a Zoom video, when you're doing a training for staff, just record it, and then you've got it. When you're doing staff meetings, you know, you you're walking through and you're teaching people things, and then we we often don't capture um, that knowledge. So using you know some type of video recording, there's also a software called Loom, L-O-O-M, um, and they have, um, I have no conflict of interest, but um, they have ways that you can, you don't even have to be on camera. If you don't want to be on camera, you can just put a picture of yourself up there or nothing, but you can actually do screen screen recordings as well and kind of show people, okay, click here, you know, if you're checking in a patient, here's where you go, here's how you do that, here's where you look up this information. And again, creating those short, actionable kind of videos and training tools, I think can be really helpful um, to just reduce the questions that you get or your team gets and really help those new employees feel that they're positioned for success because the last thing you want is to have, spend all this time recruiting and training and then have them leave in three to six months because they feel like they're not going to be successful. So, um, so yeah, those are some tools that we can provide and then some other resources. So well, that's great. All right. As you said, then we will provide links, uh, to those uh, different tools in the episode show notes. So Adrian, I want to thank you again for joining the MGMA Insights podcast and, and sharing these thoughts and insights with us. Good. Thank you, Daniel. I th- appreciate you having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Adrian Lloyd, an MGMA consultant and CEO and founder of Optimize Healthcare. You can hear Adrian speak next month at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference, which will be held October 9th through the 12th in Boston. Go to mgma.com events to register today. We also want to thank MGMA's Data Dive for sponsoring this week's show. MGMA Data Dive is an online-based platform with thousands of metrics allowing you to see the best in your organization or find areas for improvement. Go to mgma.com data to learn more. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.
Thanks.